You can be seated. If you'd like to open up in your Bibles this morning to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, and then uh, we'll pray and ask the Lord for help. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's ask the Lord for help. Lord God, we humbly come before you this morning and we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for your word, Lord, that you have graciously given to us, Lord. It is the Word of God. It is God-breathed. It is useful and helpful, Lord, to teach us the truth, to teach us doctrine, Lord, to rebuke us when we are in error, to correct us, to put us back in line, back on track, and even to train us in righteousness, Lord, so that the man of God is adequate, equipped for every good work. Lord Jesus, you said that he who abides in your word is truly disciples of yours indeed. They will know the truth, and the truth will make them free. Lord, we ask that you are with us and at work, Lord, through the teaching of your word this morning, that your spirit would illuminate your word in the hearts of your people here. And Lord, if there are any in our midst this morning who have yet to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I ask of you that, Lord, the gospel would be clear and that you would draw them to the Savior, to the Son who died in their place on their behalf. Lord, we thank you for the assembly together of the saints, the church of God, the blood-bought church. Lord, these are your people. Lord, may you bless them this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. It has been said of Psalm chapter 1 that it is the preface of the Holy Spirit to the Psalter. James Montgomery Boyce 
is that it stands as a magnificent gateway to the extraordinary ancient collection of Hebrew religious verse. It is a text of which the remaining psalms are essentially exposition. And Charles Hatton Spurgeon says that it is the psalmist's desire to teach us the way to blessedness and to warn us of the sure destruction of sinners. This then is the matter of the first psalm, which may be looked upon in some respects as the text upon which the whole of the psalms make up a divine sermon. Good and helpful quotes as we look at Psalm chapter 1. The connection of Psalm 1 to the rest of the psalms is very apparent as the remainder of the Psalter serves to flesh out the paths of the righteous and the wicked. The great theologian and famous baseball player Yogi Berra once said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. I don't know if that's good advice or not, but there is indeed two roads that lay before us here in this psalm this morning. So juxtaposed before us this morning, we have two men whom the whole of humanity will identify There are not many, really, just two. Not many roads, just two roads. Two paths and two ends. And we see that one man is identified as the righteous, the other the wicked. And this gateway psalm to all of the other psalms begs the question to all of us, which one are you? Which man are you? Which path are you on? So without further ado, let's look at this psalm more closely and let's examine these two men and let's examine our own hearts this morning. We're going to look at this righteous man first and we're going to look at his disposition. In Psalm 1, 1, it says, How blessed is the man. Notice that the man is described as blessed. He is blessed. He is blessed. And this word in the Hebrew means supremely happy or fulfilled. I mean, this is encouraging. We open up the psalm and what an incredible introduction, right? The blessed man, the happy man, the man who is fulfilled. The word here actually is in the plural form, which is emphasizing either the quality or quantity of the blessedness of this man. This righteous man is the happy man in this road. He's the happy man. And this is the man that lives in supreme happiness. This divine disposition of the blessedness of this man is far greater than the temporary and predominantly circumstantial feelings of happiness that is fleeting in this world, that is dependent upon the things that take place in one's life. Rather, it is a steady state of well-being that is untouched, unscathed by the world. This is the man that the psalm writer is speaking of here. 
And we can't read the opening book of Psalms without being reminded of a sermon that Jesus gave on a mountain when He sat with His disciples overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We're familiar with the Beatitudes, and this is how Jesus opens up the Sermon on the Mount. And that word, Beatitudes, is derived from a Latin word, beatus, which means happy or blessed. And so Jesus opens up this sermon with eight of these Beatitudes. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and after He sat down, His disciples came to Him. He opened His mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus opens up His sermon with these eight Beatitudes that are descriptive of the man who responds to the teaching of Jesus with humility, with repentance of heart, with desperation for the mercy of God because He sees His inadequacy before the Lord. He sees Himself as a desperate sinner that can offer nothing to God. This is the blessed man. The man who sees his state of sinfulness before God and lays hold of the wonderful work of grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the work of the cross. The man who comes to the Lord in faith and repentance and is filled with the Spirit of the Lord and is granted everlasting life. This man's disposition, according to Psalm 1, is he is the happy man. So are you the happy man this morning? As you read the book of Psalms, do you identify with this man? Do you have the joy of the Lord in your heart? Well, not only is his disposition one of happiness, but let's look at his denial. Let's look back to Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. This happy man is a man who has denied himself the world. This is a man who does not do certain things. I'd like to draw your attention to the figure of speech that is used here. This is common in Hebrew writing. It's known as a parallelism. It is a common and creative alteration in the usual order of words that emphasizes something and and really appeals to our senses. The happy man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the path of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers. 
I mean, that should draw our attention just in the structure of the way it is written. And as we take a closer look, it appears that there's somewhat of a progression into wickedness that the righteous man avoids. We would all agree to that. It's sin tends to compound itself the longer we are in it. It starts subtle, but then it moves us further than we plan to go, right? It makes us pay a price far greater than we ever imagined. We look at these different verbs to walk and then to stop and stand and then to sit. We even look at these words, the ungodly, the sinner, the scoffer. And it appears to be an intensification of wickedness. If we think about that last word, the scoffer, and you read the book of Hebrews, you find that that is ultimately the worst state of wickedness. Right? The naive is someone that that can be corrected with discipline. The fool doesn't listen to correction at all, but the scoffer, if you try to correct him, he's going to come after you. Well, first we see that the man denies himself worldly counsel. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So this is the biblically minded man. He interprets the world from a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective, and he's trusting in the words of his God. He does not subject himself to worldly philosophy. He is not interested in the godless wisdom of the pagan nations. He has a drastically different worldview that does not allow him to follow the system of the world. I mean, we see this in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, we are warned by the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. We need to be cautious We need to be very leery of taking the counsel of the world. Paul would go on to say that Christ and in Him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily and you are complete in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. You are complete in Christ that if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has become unto you the wisdom of God. Well, this blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And ultimately, we can see the counsel of the wicked in the world. But I would say that there are often times in our own lives where there are well-intending people who care about us and love us that want to see us happy, want to see us get through a difficult circumstance and begin to give counsel to us. But even then, we need to be very careful. We need to listen to it, obviously, with the best hope that they are doing what they think is good in, our, in, their, in their hearts toward us. But we need to make sure that The counsel that we receive is biblical. We want to search the Scripture. 
The blessed and happy, fulfilled man is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And this is so important. I want you to think about this. If you think about someone who does not know the Lord, how does the Bible describe them? And how should we associate with people that do not know the Lord? If we think about Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 and 18, Paul says this, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. You see, the wicked man is the man who lives in this world. He is worldly-minded. He is one who does not know the Lord and lives as if there is no God. He's futile in his mind. He is darkened in his understanding. He is excluded from the life of God. He is ignorant and hard-hearted. And that is not someone we should be seeking counsel after. Amen? Amen. Well, this is not the counsel to walk in. The happy, blessed man, the fulfilled man, the wise man is one who is discerning and denies that counsel. Secondly, we see that the man denies himself from standing in the path of sinners. And there is a progression here. The passage goes from walking now to standing. And to stand in the path seems to depict one's own identity with. To stand in the path of sinners would be to identify yourself with the group and their behaviors. And ultimately, if I start by getting counsel and associating with people who do not know the Lord in that regard, pretty soon I'll start to walk in their ways. Well, the wise man, the blessed man, does not identify with those who are in rebellion against the Lord. Rather, he is one who will stand in the congregation of the righteous. He is the man that will be with the assembly of the church. He is the man who is Godward in his thinking. He is the man who depends upon the Lord and is interdependent with the people of God to follow after the Lord. And this is important. And just as he will not stand in the path of sinners, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And so there. So we continue on in this book of Psalms. We continue on to verse 5. We see that, that change there. Thirdly, I'd like to look at the righteous man's delight. What is he delighting in? Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The blessed man, the happy man, the fulfilled man delights in the law of the Lord. And this delight carries the idea, this word carries the idea of a strong desire and longing. This man is the man who desires and longs for the Word of God. He desires the law of God because his soul pants for the Lord. Right? As the deer pants for 
the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. This man desires the Lord. And he associates the writing of Scripture to the words of his God whom he loves. He loves the law because he loves the Lord. And the law conveys the good will and pleasure and purposes of Yahweh. This man is enamored by God. He is smitten by His beauty. He is awestruck by His ways. And he knows that the law is perfect and good. And so he seeks after the law of the Lord. Not the counsel of the wicked, but rather the counsel of the law. The law becomes his counselor. In Joshua chapter 1, after Moses had died, the Lord instructed Joshua to lead the people of Israel to cross the Jordan and to go into the land that God has given them to possess. And He promised him that He would never leave or forsake him, that He would be with him. And then He said these words to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have success. This commandment of the Lord to Joshua bears a striking resemblance to the way that the blessed man lives. Out of his love for the Lord, out of his love for what is true and right and good, he seeks the law and he meditates on it. And to meditate on the law of the Lord is really just to rehearse it in your mind. right? To have a verse in your mind and to roll it over in your thinking all day long. To meditate on it. To hide it in his heart. To memorize it. We think of This blessed man and his relationship to the Bible, the relationship to the Word of God, he's not the man who yawns at the reading of Scripture. But rather, he is the one who gains strength from it. It doesn't make him tired and sleepy. It perks him up. It gives him energy. It's his energy drink. This is not the man who becomes angry with the law when it confronts his sin or shines the light on his darkness. But rather, he agrees with the law. He affirms it. He longs to practice it. As a matter of fact, he searches heaven. He cries out to God that God would work the law in his ways. That he would follow the law of God. He sees his dependence upon the Lord. Not only that, but he seeks to proclaim the truth of God's Word wherever he goes. So this is the way of the blessed man. His disposition is one of supreme happiness and fulfillment. He denies the godless philosophy and practices of this rebellious system of the world. He delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture of the child of God. The one in whom God has given the riches of His kingdom through His Spirit to make Him alive and to long for Him. This is 
the meditation of the sweet, sweet Word of God in his heart. It is a meditation that is not fleeting, but it is a lasting meditation. It's not merely out of a sense of duty or obligation alone, but rather out of pure affection, love, and joy. And this is the work of God in the heart of man. I remember before I was a believer in Christ, and I really had no interest at all in the Bible. I remember going to Mass. I was Catholic growing up, and I remember sitting there, and I could not wait to, to be done with it. I remember just sitting there thinking, well, you know, this, uh, this is going to hopefully uh, not last beyond an hour. And uh, I remember even hearing people complaining if the sermon was too long. <laughs> Maybe that happens here too, I don't know. But... But I had no affection for the Word of God in my heart at all. But when the Gospel of Christ Jesus did its work in my heart, I had an insatiable urge to read the Bible. I didn't want to be separated from it. I knew that I needed the Word of God. And I pursued after it because the Lord draws me to it. He feeds our soul with it. And like a newborn babe needing milk, I needed the Word of God. I needed to grow. I needed to cut teeth and then begin to study the doctrine of Scripture. right? Like the meat of the Word of God. There's a progression in our growth there. Well, here is a compilation of verses that I'd like to read from Psalm 119 that really describes the love of the Word of God in the heart of the blessed man. If we look at Psalm 119 and verses 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. In verse 18, He says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I mean, look at the anticipation of reading the Word of God and the prayer that precedes it. Open my eyes that I would behold wonderful things. This is a man who reads the Bible and he knows that the Lord is with him as he reads it. And the Spirit of God is illuminating him to understand it. And he's excited about it. And he's asking God to open up his eyes to see these beautiful treasured nuggets of gold. That he would mine them out of the depths of the Word of God. In verse 24, Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. And that is a beautiful thought. The testimony of God, the Word of God, is our personal counselor. And as we read it and study it, we know how to live in a world that is fallen and dark. It is the light, lighting, illuminating the path in front of us and showing us where to go and where to turn. Verse 34, Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. What a beautiful thought. Grant me understanding that I may observe your law, but look at his intention in reading the law. Right? 
It's not just a time of meditation and a therapeutic time and that he feels good and then he leaves and then he's back doing the old things. No, he says, I want to observe it. I want to do it. Help me. Help me to follow in this path of righteousness, Lord. Verses 47 and 48. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. This man is in love (laughs) with the Word of God. It's a beautiful thing. Verses 67 and 71. He says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. These verses describe the delight of the blessedness of this blessed man. And as he looks upon the law of the Lord, he is filled with joy. The man whose whole heart is fixed on and delighting in the law of God. He meditates on the law. He regards the law. He seeks the Lord to open his eyes to behold wonderful things from the law. He delights in it. He is counseled by it. He longs to understand it and to keep it with all his heart. He loves it. He lifts up his hands to it. And because this man is so fixated on the law of the Lord to follow it, he is able to interpret those times of trial and even devastating things, afflictions and hardships, as good and necessary means to assist him in abiding in and practicing the will of God that he adores. That is a gift. Amen? That is a gift. We we all go through hard, difficult times. But imagine if we could indeed trust in the Lord in those times to consider it all joy because we know that God is purposefully working through those times to help us to grow and to be more like Him. I mean, this man, this blessed man is saying, it was good for me that I was afflicted. And he saw the Lord's hand in the affliction. He says, so that I can obey your word. That's a beautiful thing. Well, as we move back to our text that is comparing and contrasting these two men, these two ways, right? We see that uh, there is a righteous man and a wicked man. And we see two similes, two similes that are used. If we go back to Psalm 1 and verses 3 and 4, let's look at these two similes. The righteous man will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. The righteous man is like a tree, right? The wicked man is like chaff. Okay, the tree is firmly planted by streams of water, 
but the chaff is driven away by the wind. Well, I think we all are familiar with what a tree is and what a fruit tree would look like. But some of us may not be as familiar with this term chaff. And maybe in our our more modern way of using it, we can use it to mean something that is like worthless or like trash. Okay, chaff. But here it carries a much more important word picture. Chaff are the husks of the grain or even uh, the weeds that are separated from the seed or the wheat. It is separated from the grains of wheat when the reaper gets his winnowing fork, kind of like a pitchfork, and he grabs the wheat and he flips it up in the air. And the wind that is blowing blows the chaff out and the wheat falls to the ground. The wheat is something good. He keeps it. He stores it up. But the chaff on the threshing floor is blown away from the wheat. It's separated from the wheat. And this is interesting, right? The tree yields its fruit in its season because it is firmly planted by streams of water. Its leaf doesn't wither. Think about that. No matter what the conditions are, because the tree is planted by rivers of water, its leaves are green. Its fruit is coming when it's supposed to, right? It's very healthy. Well, the New Testament teaches us that fruit bearing is important, right? Not only that, but it's only possible for those who are connected to the vine, who are connected to Christ Jesus. Fruit bearing means that we are connected to Him. If we look together at John chapter 15, I'd like to read verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Well, this word picture here is very descriptive, right? It's very telling. The righteous man is useful. He is fruitful. He is steady. He is prosperous. The wicked man is useless. He is unfruitful. He is unstable in all he does. He is unpropitious. Listen to the words of Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 17, 5 through 10, if you'd like to follow along. Thus says the Lord Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh 
his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. I think Jeremiah had Psalm 1 in mind. And this was written during a very dark time in Israel's history. God's people were in exile under Babylonian rule. It was a dry and arid time for God's people. Jeremiah warns that those who turn in their hearts away from the Lord in this time, they are cursed. And in a very similar verbiage, They will be like a bush, right? Chaff blown by the wind, like a bush in the desert and not see when prosperity comes. A land of salt and inhabitant gives the picture of a dry, fruitless, infertile, useless land. But look at the man who trusts in the Lord. This man would remain faithful to the Lord during this time of captivity despite the blistering heat, the pressure of all of the false pagan teaching. Think about Israel was separated from the temple and the people of God were scattered. He would be the blessed man. Like the blessed man in our text. He would be like a tree planted by the water with a strong and steady root system. Its leaves would be green. And he's not anxious in drought. And he never ceases to yield fruit. I think Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are perfect right, examples of that. They were bearing fruit. They were following the law even though they were living in a time of oppression. Well, this is the joy. This is the blessedness. This is the fulfillment and supreme happiness of the man who makes the Lord his delight. No matter what is happening around you, you are sustained in the joy of the Lord. He who does not trust in mankind nor make flesh his strength. The blessed man is preserved. He's refreshed. He's steadied by God. He is held up under whatever condition he finds himself in. He will remain fruitful even when the scorching heat of trial beats down upon him. Guys, this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a child of God who delights in the Word of God. This is the blessed man. This is the happy road. This starts through the narrow gate. It starts by entering in through the narrow gate, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a difficult path. There is persecution. There is hardship for the believer. 
But I would argue it's the happy path. It's the fulfilled path. And in my mind, it's the only path. It's the only path that we should ever walk down. There's a clear warning here in Jeremiah as well. For those in Israel not to turn their hearts away from the Lord. Notice that the turning that would happen there is a turning of heart. It's the turning in the heart. If we go back to Jeremiah 17 and and look at verses 9 and 10, he goes on to say, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? But then he says this, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. This section in Jeremiah, in like fashion to Psalm 1, moves the minds of the reader to the final judgment where the Lord will test the hearts, where He will separate the chaff from the wheat. You see, the Lord searches the heart. He knows the hearts of all men. He tests the minds of men. He knows your thought life. He knows what predominantly rules your heart. He knows what you are thinking at all times. Everything is laid bare before the Lord, who is the righteous judge. If we go back to Psalm 1 and verses 5 and 6, the wicked man and the blessed man, he says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, so in this final comparison of the righteous and blessed man and the wicked and cursed man, we see their end. The judgment of the Lord is coming. It's coming soon. And all all men will one day stand before it. Josh mentioned that my oldest son is graduating and it, it went like that. All of a sudden, I'm at a graduation, watching him get his diploma. And just remembering, like it seems like yesterday, I was teaching him how to throw baseball. It goes so fast. Life goes so fast. I think about people that in our life that we love that are no longer with us. It's hard to imagine. When they were alive, I couldn't imagine a day without them. Now they're not here. As I look open through that uh, open door, the glass door right there, I see tombstones. Right? Death is all around. It's coming soon. We will all stand before the Lord. And this is ultimately where the psalm writer is going. The end of the wicked path as opposed to the end of the righteous path. And this is what's most important. One man will stand in the judgment. The other man will not. One man will stand in the assembly of the righteous. The other man will not. 
One man is known by the Lord. The other is not. One man will perish. The other will not. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes upon Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The wicked who will one day perish are like the chaff, right? That is driven away by the wind. This simile should remind us of the judgment of the Lord. Listen to the words of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, 10 through 12. He says this to the Pharisees, "...the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire." As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Listen to this. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Friends, there's two paths, two men, two ways, two ends. The chaff will one day be driven by the wind because the Lord Jesus Himself will take up all men with His winnowing fork and toss them up to remove the chaff from the wheat. He will one day separate the wheat from the chaff when He comes again to judge the living and the dead. So we need to remember the words that I just read in the Gospel of John. God loved the world so much that He gave His ever only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on Him would not perish. When they are tossed up by the Lord with His winnowing fork, the wind will not blow them away, but they will remain and be stored up. They will be together with the assembly of the righteous. They will not perish they will have everlasting life. Well, I think this psalm helps us to examine our hearts. It should encourage us, motivate us to meditate on the Word of God daily, to follow after the Lord. But ultimately, if you find yourself this morning examining your heart and saying, I, if I'm honest with myself, I am not like this blessed man. I have hardly any affection for God's Word. I have no love for Him. My friends, there is good news for you. Right? The gates of heaven are still open. You can come before the Lord. You can confess your sin to Him. You can lay hold of the work of Christ. 
He laid down His life for all of us. He gave His life. He bore our sin. And He says, just come unto Me. Come unto Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He calls us to Him. Go to Him, even now, this morning. If there's a question mark in your mind, don't delay. If someone invited you here, talk to them about the Gospel. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Matt. Talk to many of the the men and women of this church who know Jesus well. Don't delay. Because that day of reckoning is coming. And it's coming soon. I want to leave you with, with this in Robert Frost's famous poem, The Road Not Taken. He penned these words, and I think they're appropriate. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. The road that leads to eternal life, only few find, but that is the happy road, and that is the happy man who is on it. Let's close together in prayer. Father, we come before You, Lord, and give You thanks and praise, Father, that indeed You help us to see these two paths, these two roads, Lord. These two men, Lord, their lives are characterized, Lord, by the motivations of their heart. One man clearly longs for You. He loves You. He has been loved by You, Lord. He has placed his hope in the Messiah, in the Lord Jesus who bore his sin. He is indeed like the tree planted by the rivers of water. He is fruitful, Lord. He is blessed. But the wicked man is not so. He has no fruit. Lord, he has no stability. And one day, Lord... If he does not turn in his heart to Christ, he will find himself blown by the wind, gathered up with the rest of the chaff, Lord, and burned in eternal fire. Lord, I just pray that there is none here in our midst, Lord, who would suffer that fate. But Lord, that they would go to the Lord Jesus who bore their sin, that they would trust in him with all their heart, Lord, unto eternal life in you. Help us, Father, to trust in you. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to close by singing, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. So if you'd like to stand and join in singing together. Thank mm-hmm. you.